Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA. Uh, if you're a frequent listener to the Trusted Advisor podcast, you know the last few episodes, I've taken a minute before we play the intro music to tell you about Retail Now 2022. And usually I give all sorts of details about the event, but the only details I'm going to give you now, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to be brief, is the event is July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando. If you want to register, you can do that. Registration is open. Just go to gorspa.org forward slash retail now. But that's all that I'm going to say about the event because our guests here on the pod, as you're about to listen, they talk about how retail now has had such an impact on them and how it can have a really positive impact on your business as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode. And then afterwards, be sure to register for retail now. It's where the industry meets. Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a very special episode for you today. The RSP recently published its 2022 Retail IT Channel KPI study. This is the sixth year of that report. And we've invited two veteran channel executives to help us dig deep into the numbers and tell you what it all means for VARs, ISVs, VAR ISV hybrids, vendors, and distributors. And before we get to our guests, if you want your own copy of the 2022 RSPA Retail IT Channel KPI study, go to gorspa.org and then either click on blog or search 2022 KPI study. All right, our first guest today is Tom Bronson. He's the president of RSPA member Mastery Partners, a provider of business consulting services with a focus on exit strategies, recurring revenue growth strategies, and strategic planning. He's also author of the book, Maximize Business Value, host of the Maximize Business Value podcast, and former CEO of ISV VAR Hybrid, Granberry Solutions, which he sold in 2018 after, you guessed it, maximizing its business value. Tom, great to see you again. Hey, it is my pleasure to be here. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Wonderful. And I understand if you're okay sharing it, you have a second book that's going to be coming out in 2022. Is that correct? I do. It's actually in editing right now. Uh, it uh, I'm, I'm doing my second pass on it with my book editor, and it is kind of a follow-on to maximize business value. Uh, it is going to be 65 specific things business owners can do to improve the value of their business. So I'm very excited. That should be out sometime um, uh, in the uh, early summer time frame. Wonderful. Looking, looking forward to it for sure. Our second special guest is Hunter Allen, who's well known as the former board chairperson of the RSPA. Also, 25 years ago, Hunter founded Servian Systems, a VAR headquartered in New York, now with locations in Pennsylvania, Florida, and Arizona. And he's led the way for VARs transitioning to the as-a-service business model. Also, Hunter is member of the Board of Managers for Payment Processor CoCard and a managing member of ISV EdgeServe POS Solutions. He's a past trusted advisor guest as well, exactly one year ago when he helped us analyze our 2021 KPI study. Hunter, congrats on 25 years and glad you could join us again this year. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Great. So I think our audience can see why we asked Tom and Hunter to help us analyze the KPI study. Again, Tom led a hybrid, you know, ISV VAR hybrid in our channel and engages with many resellers as a consultant, while Hunter is a VAR who also works closely with an ISV and a payment processor, both who have very active reseller channels. So their broader perspectives are going to help provide important context 
to the numbers. And I can say I'm going to ask some questions about the survey. We have not planned this, so I am not sure what they're going to what they're going to say. Uh, this is like the closest we're going to get to reality TV uh, yeah, with what, this. What so. Survey was it again? What survey are we talking about? Again? <laughs> Great. How can you dismiss somebody from this meeting? So. Uh, <laughs> If that's if that's your first question back at me, we're we're in all sorts of trouble. So, no, no, I know you guys have uh, dug into this uh, at least uh, a couple times. So, um, all right. So first, I want to get your take on the name change for this year's study. So it's no longer what it used to be called was the POS Channel KPI study, right? It was point of sale. Now it's the Retail IT Channel KPI study. So Hunter, I want to get your thoughts first on that change, and then Tom. I, I think great change. You know, it clearly supports how our industry is changing. Um, you know, and a tip of the hat to you and the RSPA team that you're doing such a good job in serving our community in understanding, you know, exactly what that community is and tailoring the content to what we need. Thank you. Sure, sure. Happy to do it. The team, team, thanks you for that. Tom, what's your take on us uh, ditching the POS acronym in favor of retail IT? Yeah, I think I think it just is as the industry has evolved, so has the name of this study, right? I mean, you know, 15 years ago, no one would understand what a retail IT channel was, uh, right? And and so that it the I like the name that it has evolved uh, because uh, the industry has evolved, and I have to tell you. Um, I, I echo Hunter's remarks that this is a, a great study and kudos to, to uh, RSPA for doing this. I believe that every trade association on the planet should be creating a document like this for its members uh, every year. It is, the amount of data in here is absolutely ridiculous and I really hope that uh, that uh, the <clears throat> the folks will read it, use it, study it, uh, and figure out ways that they can improve their business based on the data in here. So I, I love the name change. Great, and I will share with folks the where this this KPI study comes from is when I first started becoming a VARN ISV business coach again, what six or seven years ago, I was reaching out uh, to VARS and saying, here's some of the services that I'm planning on offering. And Jason Cowan from Spark Solutions Group out in Utah said, you know, it'd be great. And he essentially described the KPI study. And in my head, I was like, that'd be really hard. Uh, but it was, you know, certainly been worth it. And I do remember when I first uh, had the reports, I printed them all up, I put them on my desk and I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> I, I had the concept at this point, but hadn't gone the execution. But yeah, six years in, we have a ton of data that folks are able to not just look at what happened last year, but what are the predictions for the prior year, and then really now see the five, uh, six-year trend from it. So, well, thank you guys for your your kind words. Glad you're on board with, with the name change. So, all right. So the first part of this conversation is going to be as open-ended as we can get. Like Tom said, there's a ton of data in this. The study's over 7,000 words long, plus all sorts of digits and charts and things like that. So Tom, from all that information, what was the one thing that jumped out to you? What was the biggest thing? I think the, the well, the biggest thing, good Lord. Uh, <laughs> what's the one thing? I mean, I probably have notes on every page uh, of things that jumped out to me. But the first thing that jumped out to me was something that, that makes me a little bit proud of the industry uh, based on the uh, past projections. So using last year's data compared to this year's actual data, I was really surprised at how good the industry is at predicting its own future, right? Uh, that uh, that some of these numbers are bang on, you know, that they're exactly what was predicted a year ago. Some of them are off a little bit, but there's nothing that's just an outrageous 
you know, uh, differentiation from what was predicted last year. You know, <clears throat> and of course, you know, following on, in with that theme, you know, growth is, as you know, I'm a, I'm a value advisor. I help businesses uh, really improve the value of their business. Growth is one of the most important things uh, that businesses can do to uh, to improve their enterprise value. I'm really thrilled that uh, that folks are predicting growth, uh, not only in top line revenue but bottom line um, uh, profitability as well. And I just have to add to that on pages seven and eight of the uh, of the survey talking about uh, predictions uh, for next year's profitability, 33% of the reseller ISV respondents, I guess that's everybody, right? The reseller ISV total. That's correct, that's clarifying, that's everybody who responded to the survey, right? Yep. 33% are predicting uh, profitability at 25% or better which is outrageous. That's very good. Uh, and, or I'm sorry, they actually did, uh, that was their actuals, 33% were 25% were or higher in net profitability, and 36% are projecting the same uh, profitability, over 25% uh, uh, next year. So if we're really good at predicting the future, and it, that is trending the right way, uh, then, uh, then that is a pretty awesome stat. So that was the first thing that jumped out at me was, was we're pretty good at predicting our future. Wonderful. And I can say when we first did this study six years ago, the numbers were not that rosy about the future. I remember somebody outside the industry that are more in the managed services space looking at this and going, this is not a good sign. And so the, the channel's definitely gotten, uh, definitely gotten healthier. Hunter, what's your take on what Tom just said in terms of the ability to predict the future and then also the projected growth uh, for the top and bottom line, especially that bottom line number? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting, and I also think what you just said about, you know, looking back six years, you know, are we, you know, as an industry, pretty good at even predicting further out than one year? You know, are we seeing some areas where people are struggling with profitability sort of as a whole, um, you know, that was indicative of what they saw several years ago? Certainly, you know, 2020 and the pandemic and all of the the COVID implications put a little bit of a curveball into some of this. Um, I think the other thing that's very interesting too is, um, you know, recurring revenue has different growth um, modeling than traditional um, or, or, you know, old school revenue, let's call it at this point. Um, and I think that's something that resellers are still beginning to understand, you know, that when you have a customer under a contract or a recurring revenue model, it's it's pretty secure revenue for future years as opposed to when you're doing those one-time transactions you have to go out and win business you know year month after month year after year um, and so I think that will drive profitability as well as we continue to adopt that industry wide. It's so Hunter, it's really interesting to bring this up because we were just talking about uh, the RSP budget this morning internally, and we we're talking about what are the threats. And so we said the biggest threat is what happened in 2020, right, where retail now got canceled. That's a big revenue source for us. But we said, man, if we can get that membership number up and up and up, because that's essentially recurring revenue, right? We have, you know, pretty much everybody set up on auto payment and and things like that. You feel like that's not going to take some big you know, nosedive because of that recurring revenue aspect. So yeah, as a business leader, you feel way better when it's when it's recurring revenue and it makes predicting the future 
better, which is what we talked about with the as a service business model, more predictable, more predictable revenue. So great. Hunter, what was the big thing that jumped out uh, to you? Thanks for adding color to what uh, Tom just said. What, what did you want to bring to the table? You know, I would say um, the biggest thing that hit me was the lack of marketing investment. <laughs> that, that that just you know that you know was a, an indicator to me that um, there's some opportunity for some people that want to make some investment to gain market share, you know, in pushing their marketing beyond where it is today. Yes, and for folks like we're not going to go through on this podcast and read through all the numbers again. You can uh, do that. You can you can pause right now, download the survey or download the study, and then uh, go and read it all along. But I guess Hunter, can you expand a little bit upon that? Maybe not so much from a numerical standpoint. Why did that jump out to you? It pains me as well to see that there's a big chunk of folks who do almost zero marketing whatsoever uh, in terms of their business. Why did that jump out to you? Well, I think it's um, you know we've we've seen um, the industry as we see more sort of direct um, selling entities in the industry. They tend to go to market with less of a sort of feed on the street methodology and more of a a marketing methodology, whether that be online, social, the different things that are available. And so I think that success today is predicated much more on marketing spend and marketing investment than it is, you know, even five years ago. Um, and I think that if resellers aren't, you know, um, embracing that trend, that they're missing an opportunity that exists. Great. Thank you for that. Tom, I see you nodding. And I also know uh, we didn't include this in your intro, but you've got a marketing background. So uh, sure. talk a little about what Hunter said in terms of did that jump out to you as well? Well, I, I totally agree. Uh, that did not jump out to me. And in fact, I've been sitting here plowing through trying to find where that is in the uh, in the survey so that I could be uh, more specific about my response. But I can't agree more completely. Uh, the reason I was kind of digging through to look for it is I wanted to see historically, is there some historical data on the marketing? And I must have just missed that uh, in my first read of it. Um, it because if there is, one of the things that I found in the last year, at least, is that marketing budgets, even if folks had budgets a couple of years ago, they did go to almost zero because so many resellers, so many ISVs spend their money on trade shows. And as you aptly already pointed out, uh, Jim, you know, we had to cancel, you know, RSPA, the retail now a couple of years ago, and mm -hmm. so many others did. And so few, you know, not all of them have come back uh, yet. Uh, and so, so that's a huge chunk of what I can tell you in my marketing uh, spend back in, in my Granberry days, you know, we allocated, um, uh, four or 5% of our top line revenue, four or 5% of our top line revenue it was a pretty sizable business to marketing. But if we had a year where we didn't have trade shows, it probably would have gone to more like 1%. Now, yeah. I think the other challenge is, is resellers are not, um, Resellers, ISVs, unless they have a strong marketing background and a strong uh, a marketing or a strong marketing partner or somebody on staff to do that, they just don't know where to spend the money. You know, they don't know how to invest the money to get yep. a return uh, because there are, good Lord, <laughs> how many choices of places to go and, and uh, invest your marketing dollars. And I don't think it's one of those things that, that I don't think, even if you are spending marketing dollars, uh, investing marketing dollars, 
you don't know how to measure the return on investment, or many folks don't know how to uh, measure that. I'm, I measured every dollar we spent in marketing, every dollar we invested in any of our departments. I knew how to understand the, uh, the return on investment. And I think if we got better at understanding how we get a return on those marketing dollars, we'd be willing to invest those dollars. That, that's my take. But I think it's a great catch, uh, Hunter. I don't know how I missed that. I think, well, so, um, oh, go ahead, Hunter. You have it printed out there. I think if you take a look quickly at the chart on page 24, you know, that's the marketing chart year over year comparison. And that I, I think is, you know, interesting, certainly in some of the higher tiers decreasing um, over some recent years. And, and again, understanding what 2020 was um, and, and some of your comments there, I think is, is you know, very accurate. And um, the headline I'll, of that section is VAR ISV marketing spend goes from bad to worse. And I can tell you from doing this study for six years up close and personal, it's been every single year it's been that way, pandemic or not, that folks for whatever reason don't, you know, ch don't choose to spend the money um, on that. And Tom, you've talked about the predictions um, we used to have as part of the survey, but we had a few more questions. So we got rid of this is having folks predict how much more they're going to spend on marketing next year. And it was almost like asking somebody New Year's resolutions. How much more are you going to exercise next year? How much weight are you going to lose? You know, how much this stuff? And everybody's like, I'm going to do this. And then the actuals come and they'd be way short of what it was. So after like doing that three times, I just stopped asking the question because I was getting frustrated where people are like promising what they were going to do, but then they didn't follow through on it. And I guess, you know, I've had resellers talk to me about two, you know, the ones who do marketing well, they say too many folks focus on the operational side of their business and not the supply side of their business. Um, and if folks don't know what to do, the RSPA is a good resource for you. We actually have a marketing committee. And so we have all sorts of really smart marketing people on there and they're more than happy to have you uh, have you pick their brain there. So uh, I do. I want to jump in with one more comment there. And I think yeah. it's, it's we we have all sort of used this and I tried to be intentional and not do it, but I did it myself used uh, these two terms interchangeably, spend and invest. Those are not the same terms, right? Uh, if you are spending money, it's one thing. If you're investing money, it's a different. Investing assumes that you're gonna get a return on investment. And I think that the prevalent thought process among perhaps the, the respondents to the survey is that they're spending money in marketing rather than investing money because they don't know how to measure that return on investment. So I think if we can get folks to start thinking about the investment of marketing as opposed to spending money on marketing, like you spend money on toilet paper, uh, then, uh, then I think that we can perhaps get them to kind of move that needle. But that's, you're, you're right, it's, it's gone from bad to worse. Good. I just picture somebody taking notes right now. Marketing equals toilet paper. Like, no, no, no. no that's not what Tom is saying. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a big circle and a slash. Marketing Different. is not toilet paper. Different. Different. All right. So, Hunter, thanks for, for pointing that out. Um, I actually had a note, you know, folks who are regular listeners, you know, I'm not coming up with these questions off the top of my head. I had a segment that was like, I don't want to talk about the marketing thing because it causes me so much pain, uh, but here we are. I'm glad you guys brought it up. So uh, it, I will not be mentioning it again, uh, but uh, unless Tom, you want to talk more marketing, what's another thing? What's the second thing that jumped out to you uh, from the survey when you reviewed it? So um, of course, this KPI survey is all about using the data, right? I mean, you've got a lot of amazing data here. And I have to tell you, even for somebody uh, who is a seasoned um, channel pro like I am. I've been around for a long time and, and I understand all of this stuff. 
the data here is overwhelming, right? I mean, it is just a massive amount of stuff. I, I, I started, I needed to get another cocktail when I was, you know, reading it the first time because I didn't think I was going to make it through it. But one thing, one of the things that jumped out to me on page 14, it says that, and I love this quote, uh, if you can measure it, you can manage it, and that, of course, is is basically a uh, play on words on um, on um, oh shoot um, uh, Drucker's uh, famous quote. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only measure, you know, or you can only manage what you measure. Mm -hmm. But but as I as I read that and then put juxtaposed it against uh, page thirteen, where we're talking about recurring revenue here on page 13 and, and some of the prior pages. I noticed the thing that really jumped out at me, because I, I hone in on the recurring revenue stuff, uh, that um, the percentage of people who have zero recurring revenue and the percentage of people who are not sure and don't track their recurring revenue is 16%. Mm -hmm. Those are what I call the crazies of the, <laughs> I mean, come on, how in the world can you be, can this be 2022 and you have 0% recurring revenue? And if you, assuming, I guess that you actually have some or you're not sure uh, and you don't track it, my my word i mean you can't improve what you can't uh, if you can't measure it you can't manage it and you can't improve it and so so that was the second thing that just jumped off at me that that there is at least 16 percent of the respondents are what i would call in the crazy category <laughs> god hunter do you want to head to that <laughs> Tom really yeah. set you up the, the other thing that uh, uh struck me there was um you know it, it, the the data that's on page 12 about the transitioning you know and that in 2020 61.5% reported that they were 100% transition but now we're down to 31.6% and so <laughs> i you know i understand the you know respondent samples are you know differing but to me that was uh yeah that's a big number yeah yeah, that, sure. that has that just has to be based on maybe new respondents or something. Yeah. That, you know, you I know, know that as well. And I think there, you know, um, you know, I think just you know to comment about something I think we were talking about before we started. You know, there are, um, you know, in it, many um, many people in our industry tend to be, you know defined as smaller businesses. And I think that, um, you know, the methodology that people use in terms of their accounting practices and their financial reporting probably differs, you know, significantly. And so, you know, what where people call recurring revenue, you know, are people recognizing, you know, uh, commissions from merchant processing as recurring revenue, or do they treat it as something different? I think there's you know, probably some variance there that that um, is difficult to to infer some of the very specifics in some numbers. And and is maybe there a bigger picture thing here? Like when you pull out in terms of if you want to run a sustainable, efficient, effective business, you've got to have systems and numbers and measurement underneath that. And I can say this as a gosh, I'm going back, you know, almost 30 years when I was self-employed. Um, 
I just ran everything out of my checkbook. That's all that I had. I, when I hired people, I ended up going to some payroll service to do that, but I didn't like do formal accounting. And I do remember going to an RSP Inspire event and they gave out devices to everybody and you got to talk about, they did almost like a live KPI study and the vendors, everybody had financial statements. The VARs, half had financial statements. Remember the vendors looking around like, how can you operate without financial statements? And I'm sitting there like, I kind of did for five and a half years, right? Because you just have other things uh, that, that pull you away from it. So I don't know if either one of you wants to add to that in terms of imploring folks to say, like you said earlier, Tom, about spend versus investment. It's an investment in your business to make sure that you're partnering with somebody who's measuring this stuff. Because it's just like you're going to fly a plane way more efficiently if you know what your altitude is and you know what the wind is or things like that. I guess who, who wants to add to kind of that? Well, two two points there. Oh, go ahead, Hunter, and then I'll no, no, go ahead, Tom. So two points. Number one, uh, Jim, you did have a KPI. You just didn't recognize it as a KPI. And that was as long as your bank balance was above zero, that's what you were measuring. And by the way, that's a terrible KPI to be measuring. But you know, <laughs> I was just going to say that was my KPI in the beginning, too. That's right. That's, right. that's exactly right. But I, I was not proud of it. I was stating fact. I wasn't bragging. That's what I did by any means. You were proud of it at the time. You've learned how ridiculous it was, right? Just like the mullet I had, you know, when I was 22 years old. Uh, the uh, uh, Hunter, uh, the point that you made about uh, about the organization of the financial statements, I think, is is really key here because. If you're measuring it properly and it should jump off the page at you on your financial statements on a regular basis, you know one of the things that uh, that i that I wish that we surveyed here, and it's something that I might ask for for later for a modification, of course, you don't want the survey to get out uh, out of hand. How frequently do you look at your financial statements? So many vars out there, so many uh, businesses in the in the channel uh, really don't even look at their financials until year end, right? or they look at them on a quarterly basis or whatever. Well, you can't, it goes along with that whole point, you can't improve what you're not measuring. And so if you're not looking at your financial statements on a, on a monthly basis in a timely fashion, then you can't see these things and monitor them. But if you organize your financial statements in a way that the recurring revenue jumps off the page at you that the you know that uh, that your margins for your hardware jumps off the page at you uh, then you can then you can steadily improve those things because you're watching them and monitoring them i i think that's an excellent point hunter i i'd love to get into a dialogue with you about what should every uh, reseller include in recurring revenue because i've come to understand that there's Two things, there's recurring revenue and there's reoccurring revenue. So two different words, recurring and reoccurring. Some of that reoccurring is stuff that you, you get a big order from a customer every year and you get it every year and it's once. It's not like a support, but it's a it's their refreshing hardware. So, but but you know, how do you measure those things? How do we what do we call them? How I think that there would be a great study to to uh, to kind of figure out and set up some some uh, industry benchmarks on how we should be measuring and monitoring that stuff. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I think one of the things that I would share from my own experience that was, a, you know, one of those lessons that I wish that I learned, you know, much earlier than when I learned it, um, you know, the, the um, adoption of a recurring revenue model makes a business much more healthy and successful. And um, it runs the risk that you become um, uh, lackadaisical on your financial management of the business is that if you think that everything is working well 
there's lots of money in the bank, then you think you don't need to change anything and you don't you miss opportunity that is out there. And you know, for as an early adopter of that movement to recurring revenue, there was a period of time when I, you know, in talking to colleagues that I have, I, you know, was was very pleased with the success that we have. And I missed seeing the opportunities because I wasn't using the right KPIs. I wasn't looking at it from the right perspective. I was I was basing it on what other people were doing that that had not adopted the strategies that I'm doing. Excellent point. Great. No, thank you for that. Um, and I, I guess I do want to say I appreciate like almost the, the meta conversation here of I always said uh, if you ever asked me to go back and speak to college kids about business, I would not be considered a motivational speaker like business. It's one, you know, like it's hard. It's really hard and you can become lackadaisical. And it's, sometimes it's you're called crazy for things that you that you're not doing. They're just these, you know, these things that you have to do to really operate a business because it's so hard uh, to, to do that. But I'm glad you guys are talking about the reality uh, of that and presenting that to uh, to folks who are probably nodding their head right as they're listening to this, like, yeah, this is not not easy to do. So before we take a commercial break, Hunter, uh, what's a, another thing that jumped out to you uh, from the KPI study? Um, you know, I'm I think, and it's um, uh, interesting to me with where some of the numbers are, but I was very surprised with some of the sales growth numbers on the low end. You know, people predicting uh, decline or flat or um, slow growth. Um, th that, you know, again, it comes back to, I think, um, understanding if there's some macroeconomic influencer in that or whether it's more relative to this conversion to recurring revenue. I can tell you from the experience that we've had is that when you build a very large recurring revenue base, that it becomes much harder to maintain the same rate of growth. And so are, is that low growth rate just because those resellers have fully adopted recurring revenue and they're just now having incremental growth year over year? Um, or again, I think, you know, at some point we'll probably start to touch on some of the macroeconomic impacts here. You know, it, it, it very easily could be some of those as well. Got it. Tom, your take before we take a commercial on uh, on the low growth numbers. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier. Growth is perhaps one of the most important things to improve the enterprise value of the business. And of course, a lot of business owners in this space and in all spaces, let's be honest, uh, I work you know, in, in so many other industries. Uh, most business owners don't think about the value of their business in terms of what is my business worth today? They think of it in terms of what is it delivering to me for my lifestyle? Uh, but if you want to think long term, and 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 I think I argue that every business owner should be thinking about what is the long term value of my business, because eventually every business will exit, right? I mean that's whether you like it or not. You know we have a life expectancy, uh, and and having growth is what the number in the top five of the drivers of enterprise value. So you're right, Hunter. I think that uh, the folks that are predicting low growth need to figure out a way to add to that growth. And if you're entrenched in recurring revenue, you could still have. I, I would argue that there would still be opportunities for some pretty significant growth, 10, 15, 20% uh, growth, because I think a, a well-managed 
recurring revenue business should use the rule of 40 as they're thinking about their, uh, their metrics to measure for their business. The rule of 40 basically states you add your growth percentage to your um, earnings percentage, so your, your EBITDA percentage, and the two of those together should equal 40. So if you're growing at 20%, you should be targeting 20% to the bottom line. If you're growing at 10%, you should be targeting 30% to the bottom line. If on the other hand, you're growing at 40, 40 plus percent, it's okay to break even, right? Because the assumption is, you're investing in the growth by using the profitability to to invest in that growth. So, so I think uh, growth uh, is absolutely key, and I'm going to dive into more of those numbers, uh, Hunter. That's you're right. The folks that are predicting no growth, they need to you know sit back. I don't know when this podcast comes out. I'm assuming pretty soon, and it's pretty early in 2022. There's still time to reassess and figure out ways to grow your business this year. I think you're right on there. The thinking about you know, um, what what to change to drive that growth. And that, again, that I think comes back to where you are in adopting that recurring revenue cycle that, you know, you have to change the way that you grow your business from when you are in an early stage of adopting re recurring revenue until you're in a later stage of recurring revenue. If you aren't surpassing your attrition rate, you know, then you hit flat sales. And so whatever you're doing that got you to a certain point and then you'll you'll level out just by natural attrition and and you have to do something different to continue that growth right like you've got to spark it right you've got to be the one who's stimulating that growth as opposed to just naturally happening if i'm understanding what you're saying hunter correct you have to your your business model um you know the, the conceptually if you're you know if you even if you have a very low two or three percent let's say attrition rate you know if you're for a very simple um math example if you have you know, if you're adding 10 new customers a year and you have 100 customers, you know, if you if you don't if you have attrition of those 10 customers and you add 10 new ones, you have zero growth. You still sold 10 new customers, but you have no appreciable revenue growth on that side. And so, if your business is set up to sell and install those 10 customers each year, and that's just the way you'll flatline your growth once you reach that attrition point. And so. You have to think about how to change the engine that drives your business now to deliver 20 customers a year, and then you'll have 10 that you'll lose for attrition, and you'll still have that growth in that model. Got it. Well said. Great detail. So we're just going to take a quick commercial break here. First, we want to thank the sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsor is Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are Brother, Cocard, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift4. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. Also want to mention registration is now open for Retail Now 2022, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. This year's event is set for July 24th through 26th at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. Retail Now is where the industry meets. Also, just a reminder, we said at the outset, if you want your own copy of the 2022 RSP POS Channel KPI study, I'm sorry, RSP Retail IT Channel KPI study, go to gorspa.org and click on blog, or you can just search 2022 KPI study. Do not search for POS KPI study. So, and you know, it's hard to break a habit after five years. Like, let's be honest. 
<laughs> you know, when like, you, I, it's like you changed your name to John. Now I'm going to start calling you John Roddy, right? And so, <laughs> right. Well, when we launched the web page for this, you know, I got to see it before it went live, and it said POS Channel KPI Study. I'm like, oh, they must not have updated it. I looked at the directions I sent over, and it said POS Channel KPI Study. I'm like, well. You know what are you going to do so hopefully i'll totally work out the kinks by 2024 or 2023 uh for that study so all right so thanks for sharing those things that jumped out i want to share in maybe the, the 15 minutes that we have left a few other data points that jumped out to me and, and get both of your opinions so one of the headlines from the report is it says isv var hybrids experienced best year ever and so prior to this year's report many hybrids experienced what we were just talking about, flat sales or decline in sales, including 60% of those hybrids in 2020 saw flat or declining sales. But the tide really turned in 2021. We saw an all-time low of only 28% who reported flat or declining sales, and two-thirds experienced not just a growth in sales, but double-digit sales growth. So folks might be thinking, well, of course, COVID, right? You came out of that, you had a bad year, and they understand the one-year jump. But 2021, again, was better than you know any year for hybrids in 2017, 2018, 2019. So Hunter, if you want to take a crack at this first, what do you think is the reason behind the improvement of those numbers? I, I think um, it's a, you know, it's an underlying market shift and that resellers are understanding that the role of a reseller is changing and that's where it becomes redefined to that hybrid role. And I think that um, you know, I, I just feel like that is a very um, natural, organic progression in our industry at this point. Great. Thank you, Tom. Your take on hybrids having their best year ever. Yeah, I, I still think that uh, COVID is a big part of it, but but that's only a piece of the story, right? That uh, that COVID caused everybody to have a disaster, unless, of course, you were in the grocery space, right? If you were in the grocery space, you had a pretty good year uh, in uh, 2019 and coming into 20. Uh, but I think that COVID uh, forced a lot of resellers, and I know because I spent a lot of time talking to them kind of in late 19 uh, all the way through 2020, they they started to realize, oh my goodness, re I really do need to change the model of my business. Uh, and so, so I think that a lot of this improvement is not only coming out of COVID, but I think when you pour the gas on that fire, which is uh, businesses are really starting to understand and embrace new business models uh, going forward, I think that that added fuel to that fire. Great. And I think, Hunter, you were in the room when we were talking at Inspire about the shift to recurring revenue business models, like a vendor working group meeting, and people were like, who's going to hold the paper? And like the concept of it, right, was hard for folks uh, to grasp. And But here we are, like that's that's more the reality. And that leads to my next question is, you know, the other headline about recurring revenue. It says, recurring revenue business model firmly entrenched in the retail IT channel. And so the data behind it is that in 2021, the recurring revenue numbers among VARs and ISVs are pretty much same as 2020, which were strong to begin with. And then the projections that, you know, for 2022 say that it's going to be a step forward. And so, Hunter, do you want to take this first? Because you and Tom both interact with a lot of resellers. So is this what you see now? Like the recurring revenue model is now the default, as opposed to that meeting that I talked about, where how do we make a shift over to that? And project work is, I don't want to say completely going away. It never will, but it's fading away for the most part. Or am I overstating you know, that aspect of recurring revenue being the default. So Hunter, you want to take a crack at that first? Um, uh, sure. I, you know, it's interesting. I think Tom's comment before about 
reoccurring and recurring revenue is is pretty relevant. And I think that um, you know from the resellers that I talk to, some of them, um, you know, they're just trying to find ways to call revenue recurrings just so that they're you know they can they can say they've adopted it to a degree. I think that there's some some aspect of that in play. I still for me you know, as I've adopted it within my business, we try to make everything a recurring revenue. And, and so a good example of that, there's, you know, there's software typically in a, in a traditional transaction, there's typically software, hardware, installation services, and then, you know, ongoing support services. And so I, I think, um, you know, some resellers still approach the hardware and the installation services and, and try to make those one time instead of rec building a model to make them recurring revenue. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to say that there's a right or wrong answer for that, um, you know, but, but I think that still presents opportunity for, for resellers to drive additional revenue to the recurring side. For sure, I can say and there's an article on the RSP website because a reseller reached out to me and said, we're trying to gauge our hourly rate for service and is it appropriate or not? So I reached out to a whole bunch of people and I'd say half of them responded like, hourly rate for service, what year do you think this is, right? Like we have recurring revenue that they pay X amount and that's gonna give them X amount of hours per month so we can count on that revenue and, and not be able to do it. So uh, Tom, wanna get your take on uh, what Hunter just said and the whole thing about is recurring revenue now the default? Uh, I, I think it is. I don't think you've overstated that at all uh, in your in your uh, question leading up to this. Um, I think recurring revenue is the default, uh, and I agree with Hunter that a lot of uh, folks are out there kind of trying to reclass things to to call them recurring revenue, but may not or be really recurring revenue. Um, you know, the other thing that I see so frequently are folks that have genuine recurring revenue, which is, uh, so let's say that their their customers are paying them annually for a support agreement. Let's just make this easy. Let's call it a $1,200 a year. So $100 a month, right? $1,200 a year and they pay once a month and they pay every year. That is recurring revenue. I argue that the better way to do that is to charge that every month, right? Uh, but so many resellers on their financial statements, so many uh, folks in the channel on their financial statements will, take all of that revenue in the month that it comes in. But you've, you really only can take one twelfth of that revenue because they're paying for a year. Uh, and so they've got $100 this month and $100 next month. And if you don't have a sophisticated enough accounting system to track that kind of thing, then it becomes more difficult to really see where your recurring revenue uh, is on a monthly basis. I'm, I'm working with a number of resellers now to try and figure out how to uh, uh, fix that so that uh, so that you can see it uh, so that you can see it every month and you don't have these big lumpy months where yeah. you know, in January everybody uh, renews right you get the you you still get the cash right it's right, right there on the balance sheet but it's how you handle it on the financial statement so I think that if uh, if recurring revenue is not the default for anybody getting into this business what are you thinking <laughs> you know so I do know folks that are getting into the business now and doing new things. But uh, everybody coming into the business is doing this uh, by default. And, and where I see uh, resellers being acquired that don't have recurring revenue, they're taking a big hit in the shorts uh, on their valuation. And the companies that are acquiring them are converting them almost instantly to recurring revenue mm -hmm. machines. So yep. recurring revenue had better be the default if it's not for you. Still, that's 16% of people who have zero or don't know 
uh, come on. <laughs> and I, I think of Brady Nash. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Brady well, but he's from BNG up in uh, the Dakotas. And uh, we had him one time at a Business Solutions event on stage. And he said, um, if it's not recurring and it can't scale, I don't do it. Like that was the entire philosophy. And he's built an incredible company and quite an incredible building there uh, uh, for BNG. So. I want to add, you you said that if it you know uh, that spurred a thought for me that that it's not too late for that 16% that don't do it and don't measure it or don't know, and even for the ones that are kind of very low on the on the scale, it's not too late. There are things that you can do to improve and build recurring revenue and and do it starting today. And, and I Great. think I would even echo that and emphasize to the point that for those people, it's going to be the easiest that they have the low hanging fruit that they can go out and convert, you know, uh, uh, you know, more quickly than others that are, you know, as a reseller migrates an existing customer base through to a recurring revenue model, you reach a point where, you know, you, you, you have a customer, uh, you know, uh, remaining customers that are so accustomed to the old model that it becomes a challenge to convert them. For a reseller that has zero or very low now, you have tremendous opportunity absolutely yeah and i like hunter you brought up earlier there's almost now peer pressure on it where people are like well sure i have recurring revenue because i do remember years ago talking about this and there were folks saying like this will never work not in the pos industry um well i guess maybe it didn't now we don't have the pos industry anymore <laughs> the retail it yeah, industry <laughs> So maybe they maybe they're right now that I'm I'm looking back on it, but uh, yeah, it's better that that's now the you know certainly more accepted and something that people strive for as opposed to making an excuse uh, why they don't do it. So all right, we have just a few minutes left. I do want to talk about uh, M&A, so mergers and acquisitions. So one of the headlines of the report it says expect significant M&A activity among ISVs and hybrids in 2022 and 2023. And so the survey question that we asked was over the next 24 months, what's your company's plan related to acquisitions? Do you plan to acquire another company? Do you aspire to be acquired or neither? And so 33% of ISV VAR hybrids said they plan an acquisition, while 17% say they aspire to be acquired. The report also showed a quarter of ISV surveyed plan an acquisition of their own. Um, and over the next two years, 10% of them are interested in selling if the right offer comes along. And so um, Hunter, so you acquired a reseller. Uh, in the past year, and so I, you have a, there's a press release. I'm not speaking out of school uh, on that. So I'm curious. I want to hear from you first what the channel can expect in terms of mergers and acquisitions, and then Tom, you deal with exit strategies all the time. I want you to go next. Yeah, Tom is is certainly vastly more experienced than I am here. You know, for me, um, you know, I I have uh, done um, two acquisitions uh, throughout um, the growth of my business. It's been very successful in growing my business. And so I, I'm always on the lookout for the right opportunity. Um, you know, but I would, I would, you know, say in my world, they were, um, uh, they were opportunities of circumstances. And so uh, that worked out well for me. Um, you know, Tom, I'll, I'll throw it to you with some of your experience. I'm sure you can get much deeper than I can. Well, I think that your opportunity of circumstance is sort of a nice way to say that you had an opportunity to take advantage, right? I mean, that's, and that's not a bad thing. I think that's a smart deal for you. Uh, but so many resellers out there are just not prepared 
to transition their business. And that winds up being converting to when they're ready to sell, when they want to sell their business. And I noticed that, what was it, seven, 17% of hybrids aspire to be acquired. Only a fraction of those will actually be able to do it because the vast majority are not ready to sell. What happens is you come on the market, uh, you, I've done, a, I've done, by the way, a hundred transactions, buying or selling. When I when I sold Granberry, that was a conglomerate that we built after 17 acquisitions in the space. Uh, and so, uh, so I know a lot about uh, M&A and preparing businesses uh, for exit, but the vast majority of businesses, and it's not just this industry, across all industries, the business owners don't really know what to do to prepare their business for exit, and they just assume that there's going to be a great buyer out there uh, for it someday. So uh, what happens is they they wake up one day, they decide it's time to go sell their business, uh, and then uh, they put it on the market and they don't find buyers or they find, you know, get inundated with potential buyers who look at the numbers then and see, oh, there's no recurring revenue or, oh, the business is totally dependent on the owner or, oh, you know, there's no growth. Uh, and then they turn away, and what happens is, is it results in a a 17% success rate. So of of let's if 100 businesses in this space came on the market, only 17% of them will be able to sell. I've looked at a number of resellers, even in the last year, who were anxious to sell. They don't have a sellable business, mm -hmm. uh, and it and it's sad. Uh, it, it it really. Well, why, why is it not sellable? Because there's there's um, uh, it's a hundred percent owner dependent, right? The you know the business can't run without the owner, and so a buyer wants to buy a business that can run on its own that they can invest in. They don't want to have to learn. Uh, they're uh, too small. There's no growth. They're in a tight, tightly defined niche. The owner owns all of the relationships uh, with the customers that might potentially go away. Uh, and there's no repeat business, no recurring revenue or no earnings. You know, so many resellers manage their business to, to zero earnings, right? Uh, and of course, when you, you have to restate the financials uh, when you go out to, to look at uh, selling a business. But so many business owners are, are using this as their personal bank account. Uh, to go back to the to the point that you raised uh, earlier, they're basically stealing the, the money out of the business and, and so that they don't pay taxes on it. Well, that that is not a great way to run a business, especially if you want to sell it uh, mm -hmm. eventually. And so, uh, so I mean, there's 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 hundreds of reasons why, but but there are so many that are just not sellable. And I I really implore business owners to understand how businesses are trading in this space. How in your space? How are your business? How are businesses training? What is my business worth? What do I need? And then set the target to get toward uh, the value that they need to exit that business. So I think there's going to be a lot of M&A activity, but there's going to be even more people disappointed <laughs> because they're not able to do this. I, I think that there's enormous opportunity yeah. right now on the channel, but that does still poorly run businesses are not going to sell. That's just the end of the day. I do remember back when I was at Jameson Publishing, we were doing an acquisition and people had all these grand plans for it. One of the owners said, brace for disappointment. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that's probably true. And I also thought that probably should be the theme of almost every high school prom, right? Brace for disappointment. <laughs> Going into the it works on so many levels, but maybe that's why I'm not a certainly school administrator. It for, certainly it was for all of my dates. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> exactly. Well, we are right up against time. I do want to ask one more question uh, for you guys. And so it's an overarching question. And so, Tom, if you could take this first and then, then Hunter, and if you could do it in 60 seconds, that'd be great. So how do you feel about the state of the retail IT channel based on what you read in the KPI study and then also your personal experience? Tom, take a crack at that first, please. Uh, overall, I think I, I see a business that's maturing. I see that uh, that uh, we have matured over the years that this uh, uh, survey has been taken. I think that uh, there are a lot of really good uh, best practices uh, that uh, that can be pulled out of this that that every um, channel uh, participant can uh, learn from. I think that uh, that um, the if at risk of of just giving a, a commercial for RSPA. If you read this study or you get lost in this study and you don't know where to turn, for goodness sake, come to retail now because you'll learn how to put a lot of this stuff that other people have into practice. But the more important thing than just those uh, seminars and, and uh, programs that are put on, it's the one-on-one -on -one interaction. You know, that's how I got to know you, Jim. That's how I got to know Hunter. Uh, you know, it's that one-on-one -on -one interaction that you have with folks who have been there, done that, uh, that can help you. So if you see things in this study that, that you would aspire to, for goodness sakes, come to retail now and find somebody who, who is in that category and learn from them. Wonderful. Thank you. Hunter, your take on the channel. Uh, based on what you read and what you what you've been living through, um, at the high level, I think there's tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, I've been through a couple of business cycles um, that we've seen, and there's certainly some tough macroeconomic issues in front of us with some of the, you know, inflationary and and supply chain and labor issues that exist. Um, you know, certainly our target customer bases are under pressure from different areas, but you know, I firmly believe that's what creates opportunity. And for those resellers that can identify that, they can strategically shift, tactically address those opportunities, that, that there is just as much opportunity in our industry today than I think there ever was. Got it. No, thank you guys for that. And I guess to build on what you just said, Hunter, there's a lot of reasons to say I'm a victim, right? Like you just talked about it. Look at all these other people have more money than me and I can't outmarket them and inflation and, you know, my customers don't have and all these reasons for you to be a victim, but there are tons. You, you don't go into business being a victim, right? It's the opportunity that you pursued, whether it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, get that same mindset to go out and dig up what those opportunities are. So, well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion as much as Tom and Hunter and I did. Uh, if you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy, the more stars, the better. Except when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. That's not my team. Don't like those. Don't like that cowboy start. If you'd like to learn more, I say that because Tom's from the Dallas area. Uh, if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. And again, that's the same place you can find the KPI study. Just search for KPI study. Before we go, big thanks again to Hunter and Tom for sharing their wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA marketing manager, Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music. And last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail technology ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.